Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I would have a serious relationship in my early 20s, and I did. And I would have a senior position at a company in my mid-20s, and I did. And then I would be married by the time I was 27, and I did. And then I thought I would have a, a baby before I turned 30, which I did not. Instead, I had a divorce. Hello and welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is a podcast exploring the chaos, confusion and clarity of life in our 30s. I'm Bridget Hustwaite, coming to you off the back of a pretty hellish week, honestly. I do not recommend at all getting a root canal on your period. Fuck me. My body, she has been punished this week, but I am feeling a bit better now. I had a nice weekend, went and stayed in an Airbnb with Oscar and Daisy. It was kind of Daisy's first night away with us, um, staying away near, you know, kind of Heathcote, around that kind of Castle Main Bendigo area. It was a really nice little one night stay. And it's a busy week coming up too with the Barbie premiere and Splendor in the Grass. So I'll catch you up on all of that in next week's episode. But today it is a delightful conversation that you're going to hear between myself and best selling author and home cook, Charlotte Bree. And you may have spotted her in her new book, Heartbake. It's been popping up everywhere. Like it's all over my socials. She was even on TV over the weekends. But yeah, this book is a gorgeous yellow hardcover memoir of food, love and self-discovery. It's so beautifully written and presented. It's been copying glowing reviews and yeah this episode is such an insightful look into Charlotte's 30s so far and this piece from her book sums it up quite well. At the age of 32, I have been married, divorced, broken someone's heart and had my heart broken into a million little pieces twice but I have also fallen in love. I have fallen in love with cooking, not to nourish and bring pleasure to others, but to nurture myself because I am worthy of that care because I deserve it. So yeah, we're going to be talking about her relationship with cooking throughout her life. And I say this in our chat, but cooking to Charlotte is like what music is to me, right? So the way in which Charlotte remembers meals and ingredients, it's kind of how I remember like lyrics and songs, soundtracking moments of time and really specific uh, specific moments as well that may not have seen significant at the time, but then when you look back and you're like, oh my God, or it's like kind of when you hear the song or maybe you use that ingredient or eat that food, you're like, wow, like Leona Lewis, it all gets better in time. Takes me back to Chemist Warehouse on Sydney Road getting um, cleaning supplies like last minute because I was moving into my apartment that day. It was a, you know, blistering hot afternoon and I just had to run around the corner to get this stuff, like that kind of thing, you know. It's really, yeah, it doesn't seem significant at the time, but then when you look back on it, you're like, huh. 
How about that? So I, I love Charlotte's relationship with cooking. And alongside that, we talk about how she's navigated her mother's schizoaffective disorder, what she's also made of the dating apps after her divorce, what it's like to lose a best friend, and so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation. I've never met Charlotte, but I really could chat with her for hours because, you know, we're both 32 and have experienced somewhat similar things, but also quite different at the same time. I could really resonate with a lot of what she said. So hopefully you like this one too. Let's get into it. It's Figuring Out 30 with Charlotte Ree. Charlotte, welcome to Figuring Out 30. How are you? Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel like a proper fangirl because your book is fucking everywhere right now, Heartbake. How's it feel to have it out? It's, I mean, it's like a birth. I don't have children, but my goodness, do I feel like I have just had one. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of surreal. And I think I've definitely been um, keeping a lot of emotions at bay to like get it out there and, and get the show on the road. But it's, it's amazing. It's an incredible thing. It's such an interesting thing for you, though, because your trade um, is primarily like book publicist, right? So you have stepped into an author role. Has it kind of opened your eyes or given you maybe a new sense of empathy for authors? Like what's that transition? Yes. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if I could swear, but oh yeah. yes. So I've worked in publishing for 13 years. 10 of those were as a publicist, um, now in the marketing side. But my God, like I had one of my authors, Andy Griffiths, the children's author, who I worked with for years. And we used to travel all around the country for like months at a time, sometimes overseas together. And he came to my Melbourne launch and I just ran up to him almost in tears afterwards. And I was like, I'm so sorry for everything I ever made you do. (laughs) Because I just remembered like we'd get off of these signings where we hadn't um, peed or eaten or like even had taken a breath. And the minute he got in the car, I was like, right, we've got 3AW on the line to do an interview. And like, that was just, and the fact that I just did that without any thinking, of course, for someone else. And now I'm on the other side. I'm like, oh my God, I have so many apologies to make. <laughs> it is such a full on thing. Um, and yeah, to experience it in, in those shoes, like you can't even describe it. I think for me, when my book came out, I, <laughs> I was like premiering so many songs on the radio and it, it was the closest thing to kind of understanding what an artist goes through in terms of releasing a song or an album. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> exactly. It's, yeah. But it is a gift. Like even now going back to working full time, I'm like, oh, my God, now I have all of this knowledge that I just didn't and understanding that I didn't have before. And so it has been this incredible eye-opening 360 experience in a lot of ways. Yeah. And there's just so many bits of gold in it for me. And I feel like this wouldn't be a surprise to you when I um, look back on the the part of your book that sticks out the most to me and probably in the context of this podcast too. There was a line that you said, and it was like, my husband and my best friend were the heart and soul of my twenties, but I now found myself navigating my thirties without either of them. And I feel like that's a good kind of launching pad for this conversation but I do want to start with expectation versus reality so do you want to talk me through like baby Charlotte growing up what she had envisioned for herself by the age of 30 versus the reality of your situation and I love so much that you just used that line because my ex-husband used to say that to me all of the time articulated expectations and expectation versus realities I just have goosebumps FYI oh shit Um, (laughs) But I guess, you know, I grew up in a very um, tumultuous upbringing, I would say, like one that was absolutely full of love, but had 
parents with mental illness and um, my mum particularly who I grew up with has schizoaffective bipolar disorder and so she was not around um, some at different points when her kind of um, she was admitted to hospital and so I guess my upbringing just made me hyper vigilant and made me very um, aware of, of people's emotions of their feelings in a in a way that is I would say uh, superhuman in some elements like I could walk into a room and not have known you but just meet you and you say something to me and I'm like huh okay, here's what, you know, like I can just really pick up on different things. And so I think from a young age, I was um, incredibly organized because no one in my family was. So I was like the kid with like writing out the calendar, being like, we've got to be here for this and we've got to do this and we need to go shopping today because we don't have these, you know, things at home. And so it then set me up for my career, of course, which that was organizing the lives of um, authors around the country. But it meant that I kind of had an idea for my life that was, um, I would have a um, serious relationship in my early 20s and I did and I would have a um, senior position at a company in my um, mid-20s and I did and then I would be married by the time I was 27 and I did and then I thought I would have a, a baby before I turned 30 which I did not instead I had a divorce and so it was kind of like that um, reckoning that you know you can't plan yourself into a into a pretzel you know you've got a there has to be some room for movement and some um spontaneity and I don't think if I think about my 20s I was a very serious person and I took myself very seriously and that's not to mean I didn't have fun or get drunk and do stupid things but it meant like I was like this is what I'm going to be doing and this is what will happen next and there wasn't um much room to be free and I think that's what I'm kind of entering my 30s in is being really present and being really open to whatever happens. Mm. And I, I love you mentioning the whole concept of being present because, I mean, your relationship with um, with baking and cooking seems to change a lot throughout the course of your life and captured that mm-hmm. in, in the book. But um, one thing that kind of stood out was how it brought a sense of probably a sense of mindfulness to a lot of situations yeah. in, in your life. Would that be fair yeah. to say? Absolutely. And I think the two, you know, if ever I feel myself, um, I guess because what I didn't realize I had throughout my childhood and my early 20s was a lot of anxiety. It's not a feeling that I really could acknowledge or knew what it was. I just thought that was my state of being. And then I realized through a lot of therapy, I was like, oh, that's not a normal way to feel, you know, to have those anxieties or concerns or feel really, you know, like you want to be in control of everything because everything feels so out of control. And so that's where cooking came in because it meant that I had an end result quite quickly and I could have that instant gratification and that therapy of cooking and the meditation that could take place with it and the mindfulness. But now for me also, um, interestingly, is swimming. And so the time I feel noise or I'm not myself, the two things I know I have to do is cook and swim. And so I do laps in an ocean pool in Sydney every day Um, and even if I'm not in Sydney I just make sure I get in the ocean because I know it'll make me feel better and I know it'll be that kind of reset even when it is like 15 degrees in the water. Yeah fuck I always look at people in Sydney and you're all fucking beach babies and I (laughs) had to take like adult swimming lessons in like 2019 like I'm so license at 32 so whatever we (laughs) (laughs) So did you grow up around the ocean? Have you always been like a good enough 
swimmer? Like, I mean, yeah. So I grew up in um, Lismore, um, and but my pa, my stepdad, was a huge surfer, so he would always go out. Mum, because of her medication, she used to be a huge beach babe. She grew up on like the mid north coast, but because of her meds, she can't be out in the sun. She just absolutely burns like a lobster, and so I would go with pa every now and then. But it's kind of like I just forgot that I really loved the ocean. And I think it's the interesting thing um, about what different people bring to your life. But I started dating someone after my divorce and he kind of got me back in the water. And it's like this thing I just forgot existed that brought me a lot of joy. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice that you've kind of been able to rediscover that. So going back to the the, the reality and the timeline. So the divorce, was that settled or you were going, you were starting the divorce before you turned 30 or at the age of 30? What was the timeline just then? Before. So I just turned 29 and oh, I wow. decided to leave. And um, the beauty of, of getting married in, I at least New South Wales, I don't know if it is Australia, but if you've been married for less than two years, which we had, you have to be separated for a year before you're allowed to file for a divorce and to get divorced. And you have to prove that you've also gone to couples counselling. And so on just after my 29th birthday, I moved out of our house. I wanted a separation initially, but he said he didn't want that. And, um, and then the next day Sydney went into lockdown. So my final year of my 20s was a tumultuous one. Fuck. <laughs> How- I say it now and I can, like, not twitch and not have, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I know it's taken a lot to get to that point. So. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So how did you feel approaching your 30th birthday? And did that bring up all the emotions or just, did you re- reflect and be like, this is just not what I had planned? Like what was yeah, that? Like? It, was, it was particularly hard. So I'd lived, um, but on my own at that point in th- and through lockdown as well in this like three-story terrace. It was like me kind of like leaving the marriage and be like, I'm going to get this great kitchen because I'm going to cook and I'll justify the extra rent by doing some, you know, cooking jobs. And then none of that happened. And I was just in this three-story house on my own. And I remember approaching my 30th birthday and deciding to move again and feeling just so anxious. You know, my um, my ex-husband got into another relationship and they're still very happily partnered really quickly afterwards. And I remember feeling, A, like such a failure that my marriage had ended, but B, such a failure that, oh, I was still single yeah. as I was 30 and that sucks, you know. And then I felt like such a failure because I had envisaged having kids before I turned 30 and then that just amplified the single and then I you know would see friends being in happy relationships and so a lot of if I think about that time so much of that was around just being alone and how inadequate I felt and how sad I felt I also had gotten perioral dermatitis for the first time um what the hell is that I don't even know what that is it's basically like Sharon Strzelecki Pash Rash or or your face but it's hormonal it's totally hormonal and it's um it's horrific. So I had that as well. And I just remember um, being just thinking, what do I want? What do I want to do for my 30th? And so I got um, a, a chef friend of mine, David Lovett, to come to my house and 10 of my friends. But my house, I had packed up every box because I was moving the next day oh God. and had not just not packed up the kitchen. And so every kitchen item and every bit was there for him to cook with. And we just had this day of just eating like a four course feast, which was amazing. But it was a sad time. And I look at, you know, I think 
Um, I look at photos of myself now and I think, oh, babe, you're trying so hard. You really are trying so hard. Was it hard for you to kind of look at your 30s and be like, you know, clean slate, fresh chapter, we're just kind of starting from scratch? Like, was it hard for you to get to that kind of mindset? I remember the book, You kind of like you, like it was like the book was due to go to the printer in two weeks and I got dumped and I was like, what, what do I do? And I just remember she just looked at me and she just went, it's really good for the book, babe. Yeah. <laughs> do it for the plot. Do it for the yeah, 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 yeah. It's better. The mindset of feeling like it was going to be a fresh start, like how long did it kind of take for you to feel like that would be your 30s? In all honesty, I would say it was about halfway through my 30th year until like I moved from Newtown to a place in Rushcutters Bay in Sydney and I must have inspected it in that like for one hour that it got daylight and I just remember um, moving in and going where is the light and not understanding how important daylight was to a person. Sydney Heath's next lockdown happened at that time and so I was in this in this place and about I was there for six months until I went you actually need to make some decisions here that are going to bring joy and I keep coming back to that word but my entering my 30s I was like this is your year of joy and so find the joy and so I I ended up just trawling different real estates and when I moved into the house that I'm currently in now I feel like that's when the kind of curtains lifted and I was like okay you are here and you are okay and this is exciting it's so funny because when we when we jumped on, like the first thing I said to you was like the natural light and the light that's coming through. Yeah. So that really kind of checks out. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh my gosh. Okay. How how was your relationship with? I mean, because your your parents were separated when you were growing up, right? So mm-hmm. when you approached your own divorce, how much of that experience for you kind of played into your mum? Like reading from the book, sounds like she was really supportive throughout your your divorce experience mum's extraordinary so I guess my parents were never together before I was born um and so that was never an issue and um in that sense like I didn't have that kind of trauma I had different trauma from an absent dad for being an absent dad you know but I had my pa my stepdad entered my life when I was two years old they're still together that's 30 something years you know they're an extraordinary partnership the hard um and you know trauma and difficulty around that came for me that for the first time in a decade my mum had another episode and so she um was not available in the way that she was 24 7 when I talked to her three or four times a day she was there in a fog of medication and I just didn't feel like I could talk to her about what was going on um a because you know partly from childhood I just wanted to like be the perfect kid and not have them worry about me and that was never something they put on me and even when she was at her sickest she would say to me Bubby you could tell me if something wasn't okay like she knows um it's this innate kind of a a motherly thing I think but with her in particular she just knows when I'm not okay so could she kind of sense that amongst the midst of her episode and everything she she was like wanted to be there for you but couldn't Totally. And she would, you know, I can't even tell you the amount of calls where I just wanted to say it, but I just didn't. And so it took about three months of me being separated before I did tell her. And I guess the reason why I did was not because she was getting better, but was because I was just sick with just guilt and that like two-faced, like pretend that my partner was 
just sitting beside me but couldn't come to the phone when really I had no idea where he was because I hadn't seen him for three months. So it was just that um, that deception that I really hated mm. but also that I just needed my mum and I actually couldn't have the mum I needed unless I did tell her. And mm-hmm. I think even telling her it kind of brought her back to being needed and having, you know, kind of brought her back to herself a bit. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I mean, it's not like you could really have any, you couldn't really have any kind of resentment or anything about that because you knew that you weren't telling her and like. No. And I guess, you know, like there are, there are moments where I grieve the fact that my mum's illness is a, a thief at times that takes her away. Absolutely. There's a time where I get so pissed off that, you know, I really, you know, need that person. But equally, like, there is so much um, acceptance I have for it now and a lot of that has been a lot of therapy that really has helped me to separate my mum from her illness. Mm, that's great. I understand that it is just a totally different beast that will come in at times when we can't expect it or understand it but just appreciate that it is what it is and you can't you can't make it any different. How have you been able to extend that to your circle of people and people who just may not have any awareness as to this is what my reality is of, you know, my mum's diagnosis and what it entails. What's that experience been like? I mean, in childhood, it was horrific. And I think I got bullied a lot for having a crazy mum. I think it makes me, my tolerance for people that don't have an understanding of mental health, um, really small. (laughs) thin um I guess it means that my capacity for like love and forgiveness is like so extreme that I have to be quite careful who I bring into my into my world which really took um took a lot of trying and failing in the dating when I started doing that but I think for me now it's about um living vulnerably being honest um having difficult conversations and and saying I'm not okay um if I'm not okay yeah. Okay. How the fuck did you go about dating um, post-divorce? Because you would have been in a similar situation to, so I had a five-year relationship yeah. but as it was starting. Tinder was like emerging, but come out of this relationship, turning 30, decide to download like four different apps. I'm like so overwhelmed. What was your your way of navigating all of them and your date like how did you do it I felt I was so bad at it I took it like a job like I took it um so seriously I was like right I'm gonna do approach this how I approach anything like methodically tactically like I'll download all of the apps I'll try all these different things but I was just I just didn't know or like myself so it was the it was the absolute worst base to attempt to start dating from. Mm -hmm. And I started dating maybe six months after our separation. And if in all honesty, it came from the place that he had met someone. And so therefore I would only feel whole and complete if I had met someone. Oh, so that Um, was kind of the reason that you decided to sign up kind of. hundred percent. And then it just came from a, a place of absolute people pleasing. So how can I be the best mix of interested and interesting and how can I make these people like me even if I don't like them and I would sleep with them even if I absolutely detested them because I just thought oh that's what I gotta do but I just had never been on apps before I had never um like my ex-husband was the first person to take me out for dinner like I'd never dated and so to be in that realm was like as terrifying as it was exciting but it was definitely the worst possible place for me to be. And mm. now, you know, at 32, I 
am telling you and telling myself like I will never go on an app again. Like I know that they are really toxic for me. I think they're really dangerous in general and I firmly disagree that it's the only way to meet someone. When I logged on to them and I uh, – it's a really a tricky thing when you, you, you go on to them pretty much for the first time like – you know, in our situation, um, I think managing expectations for me was where I kind of fell short and I didn't know how to manage my expectations. And I thought I had to immediately either find like a bunch of people to sleep with and kind of have that experience. I thought that was the experience that I needed to have, but then I was quickly like, I just don't know. Like I I didn't feel comfortable about bringing people back to my apartment that I live alone in and that people may just want to be with me because I was on radio. Like just it felt like I could, it felt like I wanted to do it, but I couldn't do it. And then I didn't want to do it with the people that were on there. It was just a really weird way to, I don't know. I don't know how I kind of went about you know navigating it it was confusing I think when yeah when you're in our situation you haven't done it is like a brave new world it's like going to school again for the first time except it's through your phone (laughs) you're depicted through like five photographs and 300 characters like cool but it was (laughs) you know it was so I I cringe now when I think back to that but like for me I was so um confident in the sense that I just was like yeah I'll just cook for these people that's that's just what I'll do. So all of my first dates were at my house cooking for people. I think there was maybe one date where I went on a walk with someone, but then the walk ended with me bringing them back to my house and having tea and cake that I'd baked. Like it was just so brazen of me to be like, yeah, 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 they're going to love me because I can cook for them. And I genuinely thought when they ate my food and they said they loved my food that they were saying they loved me. Oh, yeah. Damn. Okay, so when did you make that realisation that they may have not been – the same thing <laughs> too late babe too late like I am talking like multiple men multi like so many men so many four course feasts so much hand rolled pasta like some of these guys wouldn't even come with wine like they just woke up empty-handed like yeah it, I mean it took it was until um kind of like that six month period in that terror like really dark house where I had the second lockdown and I stopped dating I deleted all the apps and I started cooking just for myself and it was probably the first time I ever actually made time intensive dishes just for me that like no one else would taste and no one else would have was just for me and me alone and a lot of again therapy but just realizing that I am lovable which was a narrative that I had told myself for a really long time that I was unlovable and I'd done the worst thing. I'd broken someone's heart and I'd ended a marriage and I'd left his family. That's the most unlovable thing someone could do. So the the toxic um, sort of self-talk and narrative that I had spun myself into that web of just absolute lies to myself, it was awful. And so to try to pull myself out of that was like the hardest thing I've ever done. But the Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today most important thing I ever ever did 
amazing to hear it from the other side as well because so often we hear just that experience and I'm unlovable and all of that from being broken up with but you were the one who ended the marriage and you still had those yeah I think people think sometimes it's easier I you know I as part of the anxiety I had around that time was so indecisive and even when I had moved out I still didn't think I'd done the right thing even I questioned if I'd done the right thing like it took so long for me to accept that, oh, my God, you did do the right thing. And I remember our couples therapist um, on our last session maybe, she said something like, you know, you guys still have your whole lives ahead of you. You've done this at a time when you can still live a whole other life. Mm. And I do think that now, you know, I went to his mum's house recently just to catch up and it was like stepping into an old life, like another life of mine. So you still talk to her? Yeah, I still talk to him and to her, you know, I was a third of my life yeah. with them and he was an only child and therefore, and she was, um, his father had passed away. So it was just like the three of us at different times or the four of us with his auntie. And so it was like I had left, I'd left so much safety behind but in a lot of ways I didn't feel safe and that's why I left. You know, it's mm-hmm. that I was a walking contradiction <laughs> I love that you just say that just <laughs> um okay so he was kind of present throughout the process of heartbreak right like how was that um he was so we weren't together but he I mean is included in the book and so I needed him to kind of approve it which was really important was it scary Oh, I can't even tell you. Like I remember I had I made it really clear to him that I was writing. I made it really clear to him, you know, that I didn't want to hurt him. But I knew that there was stuff in there that would inadvertently. You can't like protect everyone. You can't predict anyone either. Um, but I remember sending it to him and just feeling kind of like at peace in a weird way, like that I had to trust that he knew me well enough to know why I had written what I'd written and I think he did like he, he got a lot surprised a lot by a lot of the dating stuff which he obviously wouldn't know um uh but ultimately he said that he didn't really necessarily agree with everything that I'd written but he knew that that's how I was made to feel and I think that's the big distinction and kind of how I approach any kind of tricky situation I'm in now I'm like you don't have to be right Charlotte how does that person feel Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really big gift that he gave me. So when was the moment that you knew, because just before how we were saying how um, it took you a while to kind of trust the choice that you made to end the marriage, was there a particular yeah. moment for you? Because there was a kind of the moment for you when you knew that you were going to end it. What yeah. about the moment that you realised, yeah, this was the right call? Like, nice one, Charlotte. Oh, I think there were there were different points. There were points like, um, you know, finances were an issue in our marriage. So there were differences where different points where I could buy things for myself and not have to ask anybody, or I could do things and not have to ask someone's permission. There was, um, moments of like dating and feeling sexy or feeling, um, desired in a way that I hadn't like little, um, crumbs that kind of built up to be a, a loaf, I guess, in different ways. But I think it's more, um, more recently kind of finding love again and having a healthy love and a mutual love. And I think that was the big thing for me was like 
oh my goodness, imagine what you would have just thought was the sub, like the standard if you had have stayed and look at what you're experiencing and feeling and the opportunities you've created for yourself. So you've found love again? I did, yeah. I found I found love with a, a man who was there through Heartbake, through the writing of Heartbake, wow. um, called The Ginger. <laughs> and, and he was remarkable and he was remarkable because it was that kind of that mutual love and I think more than that it was, you know, my whole life all I've ever wanted to be is to be seen and to be heard. And I think with him, for the first time in my life, I was seen by someone and to kind of be at the point that I was of really understanding myself and really advocating for myself and finding voice and finding purpose and finding agency and um, being selfish for the first time too, to then meet someone who's really seeing all of you at that point of not pretending or people pleasing was extraordinary. And so I could just be unashamedly me. Um and that was really beautiful. It uh, ended abruptly, um, which is the breakup that happened just before the book went to print uh, that I was talking about before. But yeah. it's a really big and beautiful love. And so I have high hopes for us that we'll, we'll work it out. But until then, I think the big lesson for me is to not stop looking after myself mm. and keep that work on myself um and to keep taking care of myself I guess because as much as I can sit here and say yeah look at all this growth and all these things the first thing that falls away when I'm sad or when I'm you know going through a busy period or a difficult period is to lose that Mm. Um, probably because it's like the most recent thing I have tried to learn so it's like oh yeah well that habit can like fall away like exercise and it's like oh no you're the you're the most important person so please pick that back up and and hold that yeah, well, I was going to say, because going back to that um, that line that sticks out to me the most about having your husband and your best friend in your 20s yeah. and then, you know, putting yourself first now, did you kind of feel, because uh, this was the case for me throughout my 20s, that maybe I didn't uh, stop to kind of, and it's hard when you're in your 20s because, like, it's such a fast-paced kind of decade of life mm-hmm. and so much happens, but um, maybe not having the awareness as to how important that relationship with yourself is because that can really dictate and influence how you may navigate a heartbreak and when you do have to just sit with yourself. So did you feel like you not, not neglected that but maybe just didn't have that awareness as to how important that oh, was in your 20s? It existed. Like, I think so much of my um 20 well, so much of my life actually has been spent disassociating and being out of my person which for anyone that hasn't really had that happen though I'm have no doubt everyone has at some point they just wouldn't call it that because they wouldn't know that's what it is um but it meant that I would focus everywhere else except at myself I would hold a mirror up everywhere else and go how can I help there how what can I do here and not actually put that mirror on myself and go oh what do you need so Taylor Swift, lot- Annie Hero, like I can stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror, bitch. <laughs> it's me, hi. <laughs> you know, I, I got my job when I was 19. Mm. I was a workaholic and then, you know, I'm now running a department. Like I've worked to that point and gave so much there. My relationship was 10 years and I gave so much there. The friendship, which is now no longer a friendship, with my best friend, I gave so much to that. And I think I spent so long trying to be everything to everyone else that I didn't actually realise I could actually be what I need. And that is a really naff thing, I know, but it's, you know, even 
my lot of work in my therapy at the moment is my therapist saying to me, you know, if this relationship doesn't work out, you know, you're going to be okay, right? Like you've, you've just gone through this three years of actually realizing you do have what you need to look after yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And so that's where I come back to swimming or cooking. Like it's like a reset. And I know that they're my two things now. So do I have moments where I say to someone, I have to meet you 30 minutes later because I have to go and throw myself into the ocean? Thank you. Like, I can't actually have a conversation with you until I go for a swim. Thank you. Like, that is going to make me a better version of me. That self-awareness, I think, is something I never thought I could have. And now I really need to remember to cling to. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm the exact same. Yeah, it's so important when, yeah, you can't give that conversation or like, you're going to catch up with me. It's going to be a shit time. But if you just let me have that extra 30 minutes, I'll go have a swimmy. I'll come back and it'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be great to hang out. <laughs> yeah, and even, you know, it might not even be when I'm bad. I might be so good and I've had like one of those days where I've kicked all these goals and I'm like, yes, 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 yes. My brain is on fire. Uh-huh. And like, you need to just come back down to earth for a second and be present in like with this person to so get in the ocean and your brain will go from a hundred down to like 50. And that's where someone. Yeah. What are some other things that you've kind of tried to prioritize for this, for this decade? Exercise is a big one. Yeah. I honestly like never thought I would be this person, but so much for me is like brain okay what does your brain need and I've realized like getting moving is so good for my brain even just like walking and the way that my thoughts can flesh out because I'm so busy with ideas and I still work full-time but then I have this full-time side hustle so it's like you really need to find those moments it was about doing things for me so like I got my license for the first time in January this year six months ago 31 it has changed my life yeah but that kind of like something I just never thought I would like literally be in my own driver's seat and the fact that I can you know this weekend I, my friends were down the coast and I like, just come and I was like you know what I have nothing on I'm just gonna jump in my car and drive and have a weekend at your house like I think after a decade and a lifetime of like planning and organizing so much of what I'm embracing now is the unknown and just jumping in a car like that and going away for the weekend or you know, meeting someone new and seeing like if that's a friendship or is that just like someone who's going to have an interesting conversation that night and then, you know, move on. And that's why I host supper clubs at my house and they're for um, individual diners. They're all women and they're strangers. And I think like as much as dating is hard in the modern world, friendships are hard in the modern yeah, world. Yeah, let's go into that. And especially with, you know, the the end of a best friendship. Yeah, which, you know, and I think if I met her now, we probably wouldn't be friends. You know, like I think we would be so different that we'd kind of look at each other and go, well, that was a cool conversation, but moving on. And I guess for me now, when I think about not just like romantic relationships, but friendships, it's about finding someone who lights my heart and brain on fire as much as hopefully I do them. And I'm not saying you need to do that every time, but I want to feel like I'm being met, I guess. And it's about articulating that expectation. And I guess the other big thing for me in this decade is like realizing romantic love isn't the be all and end all and I can have really incredible familial and friendship relationships with men and women and that can be really fulfilling. Even in your book you've quoted Esther Perel and she talks so much about the expectation that we will put on our partner to meet all of these things that a tribe used to deliver. And yeah, it seems like you've kind of made that understanding where you can still pick, you know, you can go to people for different things. Like, yes. 
And I think that has been the most incredible realization. And my mum said it in her wedding speech. Um, she said that, you know, a building's built off foundations. Those foundations aren't together. They're separate. It's about separateness and togetherness. And I remember thinking like, yeah, whatever, mum. Like my husband and I, we do everything together. We live out of each other's pockets. Like that's how it should be. It's absolutely not how it should be. And I think that was part of me figuring out who I was, was to find hobbies and joys. And I guess my biggest problem is that I always find a way to turn those hobbies into jobs. So like, (laughs) and then I was like, cool, I'll just do a book. And then cooking, I'll just do this. And so swimming is not something I can turn into a business. I'm not going to become a professional swimmer. You know what I mean? Like, that's a good thing for me to do and also separateness or separate friends. Like if I do have a partner eventually, I don't think we have to live out of each other's pockets every minute of every day. Um, it's just about, I think, holding on to this growth and not in a obnoxious, like, well, I'm doing this for me way, but in a way that's like, oh no, I know what I need for me right now. And what is my body saying and what is my body mm. needing? And I just don't think I ever had that dialogue. Yeah. Do you think the marriage, big question, do you think it was a Band-Aid? I think I really loved him and I really believed in him and really believed in us. I don't think had we have broken up before getting married that I would have felt like it was done. And I don't mean that like it was like, the last resort but to me it was like I have given everything here and I have given my all to you but it just didn't work so I don't think we did it to try to Mm. fix it I don't think we entered it for the right reasons and I definitely don't think we entered it with him wanting to get married right when did you become aware of that do you think do you would you say that you knew that on like the wedding day or whatever like before like I, I mean he was never he was never um you know, vocal or advocating for marriage. And even the fact that when we were getting married, it was on two conditions that one, I got my driver's license, which I didn't. And the other was that, um, but did now for myself. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> um, but, uh, and the other was that we joined bank accounts. Like it was never, it wasn't like a romantic, it wasn't, a, I proposed, you know, like I forced his hand in that way. It was never um, what marriage should be, I don't think. Would you get married again? Absolutely. Would you yeah. bake your cake? Fuck no. <laughs> Anyone that makes their own wedding cake or makes a friend's wedding cake, I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I had nine wedding cakes from Flower and Stone, a bakery in Sydney. For nine. And I just would never, yeah, no, there's no way. No. <laughs> I love that you can give up that control though. Like that's powerful <laughs> to like that's, give that to someone else. realization for me though is like I don't and I can't do everything. Yeah. So do cake. So, like, if someone – I said delegate, delegate. Um, <laughs> so, like, if on a big day I'm not going to have time to do that, it's also me sitting on my hands and not saying, oh, I'll do that for you when someone says they need a cake. You know, I for so long killed myself being that person that would just think they had to do it and be that for everybody. And now I'm like, no, someone else can do that. You don't want to bake bread? Go and buy $7 bread down the road to Charlotte. <laughs> like, you know, I can – go to a place in Sydney and get beautiful, freshly made pasta and I don't have to spend the hours doing it. Like I think it's about realising there are limits to everybody and what mine are, yeah. You mentioned about the, and you go into this in Heartbake about the joint bank account and 
the financial complexities, what would be your advice to people who are, you know, in a, well, not, they don't, I guess, necessarily have to be married, but like, what would you do differently if you were, you know, in a new relationship and that kind of came up again? Like, I think the big thing for me is um, independence and feeling like I had that, which I didn't for a really long time. I mean, when you're in a relationship, you're a partnership. That's what you want. You're going to have joint expenses. You're going to, you know, maybe be living together. So you're going to share rent. You're going to share food. You're going to share bills. But keep some of your own money to yourself. Have your own account um, for you, whether that's for savings, whether that's for a rainy day, whether that's for you to go and have fun or buy something new, just keep something for you because um, I didn't do that and so it, it meant that I was really isolated. Mm. And when, when that was happening, were you, I don't know, did you ever think that you would kind of not be that person but were you surprised that you were like, oh, how the fuck did I find myself in that situation? I come from a mum who had a, a my brother at 17 and me at 21. She was fiercely independent. She was, I mean, very outspoken about me joining my bank accounts but like I'm an educated white woman in Australia and I found myself in that situation. I was like, you fucking idiot. How <laughs> and that's why I had so much shame around it. That's why I didn't talk about it. And I hate shame. I hate shame more than anything. I hate that vulnerability leads people to shame, feel shame or to make others feel shame. And I just guess the reason why I wrote about it was because I wanted to kind of take some of that shame and that stigma away. It's also why I wrote about mental health. Like I just actually hate that there is so much in our society and negativity that we put onto things that actually shouldn't have that, that should Mm. be embraced and accepted and understood. And I just wish that we did it more. Yeah, man, you cover so much ground in the book, like beyond love and relationships, like the family dynamic, mental health, as you said, finances too, and, you know, weaving everything together as food. I love that, you know, food for you, I guess, is what music could be for me and that it has just soundtracked so many things for you throughout your life. And you've got a fucking great memory too, like just reading about the things that you eat, you know, when you're in London and whatever. I'm like, hey, you, you remember everything. <laughs> have that with music though. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I know like someone I know um, was kind of saying that to me too, but they're big, big musos. And I was like, but hang on a second, couldn't you have a song for that breakup or a song for that moment in time where you felt exactly like you just quoted Taylor Swift at me, right? (laughs) Not a lyric that would describe how you might have felt at that point in time. To me, that's food. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I would quote like a fucking Marcella Hazan um, passport (laughs) recipe back at you. Like, that's it for me. And I guess because I had such a sort of interesting childhood the things I clung to was the joys I had in food but there were bad moments in food too and I'm sure that could be the same for music yeah definitely definitely what would you say is the 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 dish or the ingredient that sums up your 30s so far and you can't say egg I don't want you to say egg (laughs) egg I can't I can barely eat a boiled egg right now um god I mean I would say it's like butter Yum. Garlic and fucking yogurt pouches. I'm obsessed with yogurt pouches. <laughs> That's so random. I, um, a flavor or just vanilla? <laughs> vanilla. Just vanilla. I don't know. I think for me it's like about just letting myself have joy. And I know people go, but a yogurt pouch, how do you have joy in that? 
But hey, I, I love a little stringy cheese. I enjoy. I just um, am so about indulging myself and enjoying myself. And, you know, it's a lot of, for me right now is rituals. And that is never something I was into before. But, like, I will go um, and I'll drive. It takes me 15 minutes at, like, 6 a.m. in the morning to get to Wiley's, this pool that I swim at. And in summer every day they had like cheese and Vegemite scrolls, but not crappy ones from those bakery chains, but like ones from like nice bakers. And I would like go and get it and I would eat it and sit in the sun and have a tea. And then I went, I've been going in winter and she hasn't been getting the cheese and Mite scrolls. And I'm like, can you please, can you just get them? Because I go through my like kilometers of swimming just thinking about that cheesy Mite scroll. It's my ritual. I'm obsessed. So it's about, yeah, just finding those moments that, that will comfort and nurture like I am so into getting lamb cutlets from the butcher salting them and olive oiling them and then eating them like lollipops like just just like not (laughs) you just like hack it in like a snack I don't know it's very simple my I'm sounding like an unhinged single woman (laughs) (laughs) eating habits are now becoming fodder but I don't know it's a lot of it's just going to total comfort um and yeah just eating what I want when I want, I think. I love that. And I think you can relate that too, because I was going to ask as like the final question, what would you tell younger Charlotte about your 30s? I think that kind of sums it up. But anything else that you want to add about, yeah, how you're feeling about this decade? Like, you know, I used to think people were such wankers when they'd say, oh, I would never go back to my 20s or the 40s is the best decade of my life or the 30s. Is, and I'm like, holy shit, I would never go back to my 20s. Like, <laughs> I'm so excited to meet my future self and I mean that in every sense of the word the if I not even just tell my 20 self but just tell like my turning 30 self where I would be now and that is like three years almost since I kind of left my marriage but like it is so great it is so exciting and failing is so exciting I have fucked up so much in the last three years and been so mad at myself in so many different ways but there. I kid you not, every single day I say to myself, I am so proud of you, Charlotte, every single day because it's like we're all just doing our best. We're all broken people in a broken world doing our best and for me all I want to do is find joy and I'm going to stuff up along the way but I'll have fun while I'm doing it. Hell yeah, you will and you'll eat what you want as you do it too. (laughs) You will have a fabulous appetite. Cutlets with my yoga pack. <laughs> yeah. What a vision. I love that so much. Um, I have loved this conversation so much. And I know I could I could seriously ask you questions forever and ever and ever, but um you cover, as I've said, so much in, in the book Heartbake, and I'll put the link in the show notes of this episode. But what a joy to chat. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Thank you. And thanks, Daisy. <laughs> Can you hear her whimpering in the background? She's so needy. If you want to connect with Charlotte, I've got her Instagram in the show notes of this episode, as well as a link to purchase her beautiful best-selling book. It's called Heartbake. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Figuring Out 30. I'm Bridget Hustwaite. This is an independent podcast produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And any support that you can give this little pod in the means of a review, a rating, sharing it with someone who you think 
may like it really mean the world i appreciate you listening so much and next week i'll be back with you i'll be doing a little bit of an ama episode so i've collected questions that have come through to my personal instagram and the figuring out 30 podcast instagram and i'll just be yeah answering your questions and like i said at the start of this episode i'll catch you up on splendor in the grass because i will be there this weekend and yeah i think that's it so i'll catch you next week bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.